0: You're listening to Art Root Radio, and I'm your host, Michelle Lockery. Today on Art Root Radio, we're taking it to the wall. Or, in other words, I actually think we're taking it off the wall. However you want to look at it, climb my digital scaffolding and um, grab a coffee or a beer. And um, let me tell you a story. A lot of people know of all the work that I've done around the world. And um, there's many projects that I'm very, very proud of. And one of the projects that I'm really proud of is the one in the city of Vernon. That project was so, it's so important and it was so groundbreaking at the time. Now, there's murals all over the world now. And, and I know that the movement has, you know, it's, that murals aren't new because murals aren't new right from the beginning of time. We've been cave drawing forever. But the difference of the City of Vernon mural to me was the fact of how it happened and the stories that are behind the paint. Now, if you're just driving, you know, getting in your car and you're on a holiday or you're just taking a cruise around Vernon, you'll see very historic, basic murals. Um, to me, they're quite layered because they're all freehand. There's no gritting. there's no, it's just a ginormous wall and um, you find a photo that the museum agrees is, you know, part of the theme. And our theme was transportation. It was that um, Vernon was the transportation hub in British Columbia and a whole bunch of people. When we first started to try to make this this mural project, the Downtown Vernon Association, the Chamber of Commerce, Community Futures the museum, the city, the at risk youth, government of Canada, innovation Canada. Like it was it was just so many players. But it all started with a seed. And the seed was that I had been painting murals in my small town of Sparwood with my arts council with a group of young people and we were just trying to reclaim and rebuild our small coal mining town. For For very personal reasons, I ended up in Vernon, and I just so happened to have a a friend who had connected me with the Downtown Vernon Association with a woman named Chris Rowland who was looking for a muralist, and I was a muralist looking for a project. Now, most muralists just paint the wall, and I don't mean just in any means of disrespect. So all you muralists out there, don't, you know, don't send me hate mail, But the difference of what my mural projects are or the community mural projects were is that they were art in action in an event. Yes, was there a result of a painting of a mural? You bet. One that we're really proud of that told a heritage story? You bet. And are the stories diverse and, and, you know, they tell these tales of people before us who built this great city that I still live in? But there's secrets behind the walls, and there's programs behind those walls, and there's many things that happened on those walls that not a lot of people know about. Now, that might sound all mysterious, you know, enter the crazy, scary music at this point, but it isn't. It's the fact that the events became, well, a community builder, for sure, a place for the youth to come home to, a place for street people to engage with other people. And the stories are just as diverse as the paint colors on those walls. So thinking, I think I'd like to do a series of what those stories all They are. What they all are. And if we take it to the wall and reveal the colors on the wall and take the colors off the wall to reveal what's hidden behind, I think you'll enjoy the ride. I want you to imagine the very first wall in Vernon. We didn't have a lot of money i was on a a grant program because my unemployment had run out and i was trying to think how i was going to move ahead in my career i had moved to the okanagan with my daughter and my son lived still with his dad and it was kind of a time of change and so we all had a meeting and i'll never forget the meeting i want you to imagine a very small downtown vernon association with some very, very passionate people who wanted to make their downtown alive and friendly and safe, inclusive and fun, and a place that everybody could call home. I remember walking in, and um, Chris Rowland was sitting there, and a woman named Sue Miller, who's still my friend, and we were making posters. And she looked at me, can you make that poster, and can you run downstairs with it? And at that minute, I knew I was home. Because I had grown up in a place where you just jumped in. It wasn't, I can't make a poster, or what does you want the poster to say, or it just, and I made the poster, and we ran downstairs, and we put it up because they were having a progressive dinner. Now, that progressive dinner was the coolest thing. We went from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant, testing different meals, and just having a great time, all the restaurants working together. It was so fun and I knew I had been welcomed into a community of women that worked really hard and built community, but they had fun while doing it. And that fun is also a huge part of why people volunteer and why they stay together because you mix your social and your work and your business and your tourism, that's community. That's not community development, although that's also a byproduct of it and tourism is a byproduct of it. But it's the heart route. It's finding your life with heart. So, well, it didn't take very long for us to have conversations and talk about a first mural and how could we fund it. And I said, well, when I was in Sparwood, this is how we funded it. We got job, you know, and trade skills, work grants. Not art grants, work grants, because, you know, being an artist is work. And, um, well, that's what we did. So the very first project, there was only four of us, four participants and myself, and of course the office of the Downtown Vernon Association. But it wasn't just a youth project, although my sister was on that project where she was very pregnant with my niece, and actually my niece was born as we were painting the City of Vernon mural. So there's a little tidbit, my amazing niece Cheyenne. And there is a young woman named Jessie Brown, who I'm hopefully having on the podcast very soon so she can tell you how she changed the face of Vernon by knocking on my door for three weeks straight saying, I'm a youth. I have nowhere to live. Would you hire me? Would you hire me? And I was like, I don't even know you. She says, that's okay. I'll come back tomorrow. And she did that for three weeks. Well, of course I hired her. Jessie's a legend in downtown Vernon and in Vernon, in our schools. She's just an extraordinary woman who has taught me so much about community and forgiveness and inclusion. She's just, um, yeah, she's a golden thread through those murals. There was an older gentleman, Roger, and another young man named Troy. Well, we had a blast. We had no scaffolding. We had no money. We had bare bones. Uh, People always say to me, why is the sky so big in that first mural in Vernon? Like there's a kind of a woman and a horse in a city... And this vast sky and I said well the Okanagan skies are pretty vast but the truth is we didn't have enough scaffolding we only had enough scaffolding for each side of the wall and um, we discovered that you couldn't drag the scaffolding along the roof without poking holes in the roof so we didn't want to do that so we tied a rope from scaffolding to scaffolding and Jesse and I from the bottom would roll with these really long rollers Or Troy would roll from the top of the scaffolding or from the top of the roof down. It was exhausting and it definitely lacks the the depth. But to me, when I see that sky, I laugh and I think about how we problem solved and how we laughed and how we stressed and how we just somehow managed to paint 70 feet of blue without any way to get to that, that amount of blue. Yeah, we never thought about asking a little bit more because, you know, at that time, people weren't quite sure they wanted murals. Well, you know, what are you going to put on those walls? We don't want murals. We'd rather have the beige wall. What are you going to put on that wall? Um, it was tough, you know, and there was a group of people that had seen the, the success of Chimayness and um, they needed to reinvent downtown Vernon because it was, you know, it was fading and it was beige. That's what I would say. It was beige. The people were wonderful and, and inclusive, and but the walls were beige. Well, we kept going. The museum helped. Now, I really didn't know much about horses then, and um, the fact I had to paint the doctor who had the cart with the horse was terrifying to me. And I can remember um, Tracy the Grant, one of the Grant leaders who worked for Service Canada saying, you really don't know anything about horses, do you? And we would laugh because, no, I had never painted a horse and I had certainly never painted a 40 foot horse. Well, I would say it's an artistic rendering of a horse and that's okay. And there's some funny pictures in the back because when you use photos, you, you paint what you can't see. You paint the shadows and the light and the dark. You really don't know up there with this tiny two-inch picture in your hand, what you're painting, other than, you know, you go, hey, look for the shape that looks like Europe. Oh, look at the shape that looks like a cup. Recreate it on the wall. Because when you get down, it will look like the picture, trust me. So sometimes if you look and if you're not careful, there's some interesting scenes that go behind there that you go, oh maybe we should have skipped that. Mmm, that's what that is. So there's there's some funny stories and little secrets in the walls, you know, and you can get quite carried away with painting. Hydrants and dogs and more dogs and what's that? Oh, that's a piece of garbage. Well, we painted that in from the heritage picture because it was really important to us to have detail and to have all these different artisans that, you know, one might be detail-oriented and one might have not the artistic skills, but had the measurement skills. So the building shapes could become quite dimensional with the person who wasn't into the detail, but could really see the angles. So it was really a mix and a university academy of trade skills, painting and being a circus and talking to the people and directing the people and raising the money and finding the donated paint. And then, well, just being passionate and being a family, a forced family. It took us quite a while to finish that that mural, and I can remember smelling the tomato smell of the brewery. To this day, it always reminds me of tomato soup. And we'd be sitting there and I'd listen to the radio and it would be, come discover, enderby, enderby. (laughs) And so when you're outside for months at a time in the downtown, you become this almost recording of the sounds and the traffic and the climbing up the wall and climbing down the wall and having to bother the wonderful gallery that was next door at the time that Joe Girard ran. And we would have to go through there and I'd say, yeah, really, we look like a bunch of really crazy painted people, but we can't get off the wall unless we come through your gallery and we don't have a bathroom. They were tough times because, you know, we had to sign our lives away to get the mural on the wall. And although the building owner at the time, Lynn Sprague, was just fantastic. I'm sure he's, I don't know if he's still the building owner, but, um, you know, There we were talking about ceiling tiles and going to the museum and we'd enter that museum and it would just be so, everybody would sit around the table longer than we possibly should have because, well, it was cold outside or it was hot outside. And then the museum people would bring the photos and they were so generous. They would just bring more and more photos and we would get lost. And I started to feel like I was part of the Vernon history because I got to see photos that so many people didn't. And it was just like, we'd say, well, what about that one? Or what about this one? And I was always looking for the right photo, like the right photo that really had high quality light and dark. And you could see, you could see the fabric or you could see, you know, in the taxidermy shop, you could see the animals in the window and you could see the light on the fur. And then the black and white photos would start telling you stories and you would just get lost. And I would swear those people would become like, colored TV visions on this paper and I would just fall in love with all of them. I fell in love with the woman in the first mural with the dress and I was imagining her walking on the wooden sidewalks in the dirt of Vernon with this beautiful lace dress and her gloves with the covered buttons. It's always interesting because when you paint heritage murals, when people walk by, they stop to talk to you and you spend, not exaggerating, four to five hours a day just talk storying with people and they would bring gloves and antique necklaces and gowns and wedding gowns and robes and say, this is what my family wore. Do you want to look at what the color looked like? Yeah, I have a dress from about that period. And then they'd say, well, take this. And I'd say, well, I I don't, I don't have anywhere to keep it. And I would then take that stuff that maybe was in the bottom of a trunk for so long and take it to the museum or we would just share, you know, with the team we were working with and be, and something magic would happen in that event. That first mural, well, it really was spectacular and we didn't have any more walls to paint and it was a small program and we had to do training and life training and, you know, how to deal with the paint and, you know, making sure that the paint didn't go where it shouldn't be and, you know, I wanted the the project, which wasn't called Wayfinder quite yet at the time, but it still was a work program of life skills through work. So we had workshops on, on how to build a resume, and we handed out business cards, and then we would help the Downtown Vernon Asso- Association w- with whatever they needed help with. So, you know, the team became basically the cheerleaders or the worker team and the hands, the hands that could help the DVA, and we built a team was extraordinary. Everybody felt like, wow, you know, the downtown Vernon got people and more help. And that nonprofit got to grow just a little bit. And Chris Rowland at the helm of that was she was such and is still such a visionary. She knew that she could turn the downtown around and she could bring the businesses and, and the business retention and bring her downtown into an event. She was headhunted by a city in in Scotland and she left the DVA shortly after that. And I, I always thought, wow, you know, what a visionary she was to create and to let this crazy young artist who had a plan to do a job trade skills program, something that's so common now around the world that hadn't happened. I said, I'm going to bring at risk people who don't know what they're doing or don't know where they're going or lacking the skills that are, I would say, you know, system skills, and we're going to paint a giant mural. And we will be safe, and we will have politicians like Tom Christensen help me bring paint up the wall with a rope and another person's, and we just, it didn't matter the level of your career or your place in society, because in front of that wall, we were just all trying to finish that wall. I have a picture of the opening of that wall where I met people And, you know, the mayor at the time, Wayne McGrath, and the friends I made. And they all showed up. And it's, to me, the most, I don't know, like, almost silent testimony of what was to come. My niece was born. She's now a young adult. I remember climbing down, and it was really, like, cold. Because my niece was born in December. So I want you to imagine, we're on the scaffolding. And I'm coming down and the snows on the scaffolding so is what makes it quite slippery. And you've got like, you know, three pairs of underwear on and these jeans and boots. And you're like, the paint is probably going on the wall better than you could imagine. Because when it's hot and Vernon the paint just gels. So you have a few hours of it being liquid enough that it stays like paint long enough to soak into the bricks and dry slower, which is a better way. And the murals have definitely hung on, and we have some secret potions that we would add to the paint that would kind of aid the adhesion and the drying time. And as I slid down the wall, my foot accidentally hit my sister in the stomach. She was very pregnant, and uh, she looked at me, and she goes, you just kicked the fish. And I was like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And I felt, like, just terrible. And she looked at me, and she goes, I'm in labor. And she was. My niece was born. And I go, Isn't that the most incredible thing? Because we had other babies born, and every mural had, I would say, I wonder who's going to get pregnant and what baby is going to be born on this mural crew. And it was maybe kind of a funny thing that I spoke out loud because it continued to happen. And the walls became after we got off the top of that one, and the walls were more on the ground, sort of, there was always a family. It was grandparents and babies and children. And my own children grew up, right from the time we painted into, in Sparwood, underneath the scaffolding. Now that I'm, I'm older and I am doing new projects and, and, and still painting murals, maybe not the big ones because they're just so encompassing, And, you know, and the young people and the young artists and the emerging artists are doing such a good job. They they have taken and run with that. And, you know, we can't all do the same thing forever. And I'm passionate about many other things like telling the story and this digital platform, this digital scaffolding. But the magic is that whether you climbed up that digital scaffolding here or you climbed up that physical scaffolding back then, connections are still made. It still is that that place, that absolute connection where it's almost like you go to another island and this island doesn't really exist and it's sort of hidden between the cities and the systems and you get to be this tribe of people that are there that nobody sees. So perhaps the thing that really I think I'm most passionate about in my community work is, is making those that are unseen visible. We can all be creative and you can have a creative community and you can have an artistic community. You can have a sports community. You can have an agricultural community. But in all of those communities, there's always people that feel unattached. I had a really good friend send me something today about whether you have talent and hard work. If you don't have grit, that staying power to stay true to the passion of What makes you passionate about your life? And it struck me, and I took a step back, and I go, what have I been so driven about in community development with mural art? And then I go, no, the murals were just a byproduct, a good byproduct. And the youth, well, that was just, that's my passion of, you know, the power that youth hold to teach us and the creative energy, and they're so open and their talent is raw and real. And it hasn't been taught into something from a history book that isn't even real anymore, that it hasn't been morphed into the jelly molds of everybody. It's this freedom and this questioning. And I always thought it was that, and that's a part of it. But then I go, no, I'm not, I work with youth, but no, I'm just that passionate about helping seniors. You know, and I'm a senior but a young senior, so but I I see the same niche and then it hit me. It is finding a way for those who feel unvisible, unheard, not included, because I think I was a child that didn't feel included in many things. They say that your healing can be your biggest gift or your biggest downfall in some ways. And I thought about that. I was a very shy, very um, artistic kid. I think with sensory issues and big dreams and talked too much and had too many ideas, was just a wild child. And my mother and father let me be that wild child in a feral time of coal mining. And I was such a blessed child. And it was also a hard childhood because, you know, it was a hard life. But a good life, and and that mixture of that, that beautiful salad of all of that life, created somebody, me, who knows what it's like to not feel included, and to feel invisible. So my passion is that the art, any art, whether it's muraling, community art, a gallery, creating, if we all... And I'm really emotional as I'm I'm finishing this podcast to say if we all thought like a group of kindergarten kids around a table and if there was a box of crayons on that table, why can't we share all of those crayons? Why can't anybody and everybody reach in to the big package of crayons and each use one and then switch and trade and throw the broken pieces back and pick up the little broken pieces and melt them back together into a new color. But for some reason, I see that we all need our own crayon box. I always had crayons. My favorite is an orange crayon. It's when I remembered as a child that I had power in my orange crayon because I could do something that other people couldn't. To my head, I could paint with a crayon. I could have a voice with a crayon and I colored strong on my paper, that orange crayon and I drew the line and I shaded it in and I held my pumpkin up and I was powerful because my family said, Oh my God, that's a beautiful pumpkin. I wasn't a sports kid. I wasn't any of those other things, but I had the power of an orange crayon. As I got older felt pens replaced you know, the crayons and pencil crayons. And my parents were thrifty as they had to be, and I can remember at the beginning of the year getting your Laurentian crayons, the 12th pack, and you would sharpen them just a little bit because they had to last you that whole year. And across the room, it's grade seven, was this beautiful girl from Quebec named Odette, and she had felt pens. And I was like, my world stopped, and I went, "Okay." I don't have to use the wax crayons because they used to stick to the wax crayon and make me kind of like annoyed, but I had these beautiful pencil crayons and they, but they took too long. The lines, the lines, I still hate coloring now. And then I watched Odette reach in for this beautiful blue crayon and with one stroke, she filled in her paper. I befriended that girl so that I could use that felt pen. And for the rest of the year, I would sit and stare at her case of felt pens. And if I behaved and was nice to her and, you know, she would let me use those crayons. And then if I wasn't or she decided to have other friends, there was a barrier between me and those felt crayons. I always wonder where Odette went. Because to me, she was the unattainable person who had a family who could afford the art pens that I couldn't. (laughs) My family laughs and they say that I hoard my art supplies to this day. And I think they're right. The supplies of art are so valuable to an artist, to an artistic child, to an autistic child, to a child, a senior, or somebody who has a voice. Yet there's no art banks. But our communities build sports facilities and curling arenas and hockey arenas. Yet the arts struggle and struggle and struggle. Yet art, the box of felt crayons, the box of wax crayons, and the paint, is an unachievable goal to many. I'm going to leave us today and climb down my digital soapbox scaffolding and go to my studio and be blessed to know that I can buy my grandchildren many, many, many voices. Every time they pick up a paintbrush, a felt pen, they have boxes of felt pens and boxes of wax crayons. And now, most of my art is based on melting wax and colors into wax crayons. I just like to torch them and morph them, because as a child, I always thought, if I had the whole box of crayons, I could make the world better. This is the first in the series of Take It to the Wall, The Walls Revealed. Stay with me because there are some very interesting stories about what happened on the murals around the world. Yes, we're on Art ArtRoot Radio, but on the Take It to the Wall series, we're really going to take a lot of things to the wall. How many times it took us to beg to have permission to be on those walls. How we got the scaffolding, how we got the paint, How hundreds of gallons of paint showed up, the funny stories, the ones that'll break your heart, the kids that were treated horrendously, and the successes of where this all went. So please return to Art Root Radio and spend some time with me. Thanks. it's the art and the history connecting all communities the water flows through indigenous blue the tides rise and fall connecting us all water is life hear our call the water flows through indigenous blue